0: Well, as many of you have been uh, watching the news, you uh, know what's what's been going on. And I haven't watched it a, a lot, um, but but I know enough about Nepal to um, to know what's going on. I think this morning in prayer meeting just really was a uh, really just a sobering time to think about just what our church is like this morning as opposed to what churches in Nepal are are going through. Um, I just think about I I I didn't I I just it came to my mind just even this morning thinking about when exactly it happened. Does anyone know what time the 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 quake hit? 11:30 Nepal. That was Saturday Nepal time. So that would have been churches are just getting out at that time because they worship on Saturday. That's what I was trying to figure out. They worship on Saturday, and so they would have just been getting out and then then the the quake hit. you guys uh, all, all saw what I sent um, uh, yesterday. I think most of you did uh, here's an update we got. I, I think it was worthwhile to read this. I read this at prayer meeting, but I, I will read it again. Just I want a, a greater a greater audience for this. Paul wrote, "Thank you for praying for Nepal. Life has become uncertain and difficult. I will not share any graphic pictures. I am sure that you 've seen enough of them on the news." Suffice it to say that it is worse seeing it in person. I've been without internet and power since last night, so we'll try to write a quick update before I lose the internet again. We have a battery backup for power, however, that will not last long as it is recharged when we have regular power and the government has shut off power to most of the city to prevent fires and many wires are on the ground. Up until now, they have also shut off the phone lines now. I'm not sure if you remember the um, uh, pictures I have sent in the, in the past. Wires are like all over the place, <laughs> like, and, and if those poles go down, it's a, it's a mess there. And we are, are still safe, although the aftershocks are continuing. At 12:55 p.m. today, okay, that's like midnight when we slept last night. We experienced one that I heard was a 6.9. I was at a gas station trying to get diesel fuel for a truck that's being used by a, a pastor to move injured and dead people as they are being recovered from the rubble. And when the tremor hit, we all ran away from the pump and into the road. And the group was shaking and people were screaming. Most of the people are traumatized. Almost everyone is either staying in the roads or in the open fields. I went to bed shortly before midnight In my bed, but I love this, I had my shoes on in case I needed to make a quick escape. I didn't sleep with my shoes on last night. And there were several small tremors last night, and I did go outside a couple times. I was up at five in the morning. And when a large aftershock came, the manager closed the pump and went home. So I commented to, the prayer meeting, this is so typical of, they just, oh, I'm, I'm done with this. They just they'd leave, even though gas is of a necessity over there right now. A driver of a big truck allowed us to siphon some diesel fuel from his truck and charged us just the cost of his fuel. He's got a picture of um, a board member, board secretary, helping the gas station attendant fill the tank. He says, as we have prayed about what to do, the Lord has led me to an organization called the Nepal Christian Relief Services. The former chairman of this organization is Dr. Rongong, Sharon's father, and the chairman of our First Love Nepal board. Now, Dr. Rongong is, as Phil alluded to in his prayer, one of the first Christians in Nepal. Um, he came to the United States for schooling, so he speaks well English. He understands well the Western world. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure if he became a Christian over here or not. I, I can't remember his story. I kind of think he did, but I, I can't quite remember. Um, But I think that was in the 1950s. He went to ISU, so he knows all about Bloomington Normal, and came back to Nepal and has faithfully labored away. And his daughter, uh, Sharon, is um, uh, just basically the one who runs First Love over there for Bob. These are faithful faithful people, faithful believers who have given themselves for Christ. So anyway, Dr. Rongong used to be the, the chairman of this organization, Nepal Christian Relief Services. I met with the two leaders of this organization along with several Nepali church leaders this afternoon and we have come up with a plan. Besides doing what we can to help in the rescue efforts, the first thing we need to do is provide relief in the form of tarps to make tents, foam mats, blankets, food, right which means rice, lentils, oil, and maybe some vegetables and water. And some of the pastors are doing this in their churches for the people in their neighborhood. So, I mean, just imagine here the disaster strikes and there's a big earthquake. We open our our churches. Like, I think in some sense it's probably being done in Rochelle a little bit. Maybe not. I I, I don't know enough about what's going on there. But some of the pastors are doing this, their churches, for the people in the neighborhood. But the funds are running out. They need help now. We've set a target of helping 250 families right away. To just help and preserve life kind of is the idea. And we will focus initially in Kathmandu, but hope to get some of the hard-hit villages outside the valley when the roads become passable. Just to give you, Kathmandu is kind of in the center of, of Nepal, and uh, up way northwest is Pokhara, and the, the earthquake happened just uh, closer to Kathmandu, but kind of in between them. Northwest of Kathmandu. Bakunde, by the way, is southeast. Um, so that's where we, have, we really helped majorly build a, an orphanage there uh, for the kids. Some of you support kids there as well. Um, so by God's grace, much of that has been protected. Uh, but Dirk Reed, I remember when we built that, he, he um, this was, I, I'm not sure, is Nancy here? Where is she? She's maybe in the nursery. Uh, he said, Ooh, that's right in the earthquake zone. Make sure that whatever Bob builds, he makes it strong. And so he was just envisioning this little, this little kind of tin hut. And so he made these big columns. And uh, in, uh, uh, he, he has three qualifications for building, building buildings. It's bulio, sastro, and romro. Uh, romro means good, sastro means cheap, and bulio means strong. And so this place was made strong. And the idea from the start, even Dirk's counsel through me to Bob, was we want earthquake to happen and all the buildings are down except this one building which is standing. And it's kind of. But it put earthquakes on my mind. So I've been over there several times. I've been in buildings where I have really thought, I, I just pray to God that an earthquake doesn't happen right now because I would be dead. I mean, you, you can't... You just don't see buildings like that here in the United States. I, I remember going up this one. I think it was Kathmandu Bible College, maybe. <laughs> it was like a six or seven story building. And as I, as I walked up these stairs, some of the stairs and the floors kind of dipped. And to get up the stairs even, I had to kind of duck in you know, order to get up the stairs. And I'm not sure if uh, earthquakes had happened there before or, or what had happened, but I, I remember... S- and, and my dad was there with us. Would you go to... You didn't go to that. And um, and I remember just, boy, I just hope an earthquake doesn't happen. And uh earthquake has... Um, let's see, where am I? Here it is. We'll initially focus on Kathmandu, but hope to get some of the hard areas outside the valley where roads become passable. So in other words, to go northwest. In this regard, we could use another truck. Then a Paul Christian Relief Board says that it's a huge need... It's hard finding trucks to haul the relief goods. Eventually, we'll shift our work from relief to clean up and reconstruction. So relief first, just getting in, helping, and then cleaning up, and then helping to reconstruct. We would like to borrow to provide new homes for poor families, who will not be able to borrow money or come up with cash, some other way to have to ever have a house again. We also help to rebuild or repair churches. I'm setting the goal to raise $50,000 within May 1st. It's a large goal, but I'm convinced our Lord will supply this and more if we trust Him. Priests pray about all you can contribute. Every amount is important. To feed a family of seven for a month, it costs only about $75. Tarps and mats are about $50. This will not be a short-term effort. It will take some years before people recover from this horrific event. I don't know if anything in Nepal can, can recover. By the way, in Kathmandu, um, there's been this, this Maoist problem. And so a lot of the people from outside the city have come into this city where I think the city now is like three or four times bigger than it was 10 years ago. Just because it's dangerous out there where the Maoists are, and so they come into the city for safety and a city that lacks infrastructure, even Rockford would struggle two, three times bigger. And to think about this place that's uh, just a mess, trying to figure out how they do it. And now this, it's it's going to be a long time. And, by the way, just, just the, the physical cost and effort of that is just going, to be, just going to be immense. There's no way we can do that. And I, I appreciate one of the things that, that Bob says here in this next He says, our goal is not only to meet the physical needs of these precious people, but to lead them to a relationship with Jesus. Right? Providing the, the funds and the needs so as then to help direct them to God is the a, is a right way. Um, to do things. And if you know anything about Bob, he's just all about Christ. He's all about Jesus. He's all about using opportunities just to love people and help them. Please let us know if you can help and please pray. Um, and he says, I've scheduled to return to the States tomorrow, but I've canceled my flight. I will remain here in Nepal as long as it takes to get this project running smoothly and to be with our children and staff as I go through this emotional time. I've also canceled my trip to Kenya. Um, you know, and, and Bob, I think, is a guy who's uniquely gifted to be there and for us really to... To help and support coming through this, um, I just when the tsunami hit in uh, Thailand, he said, "I want to be there," and so he just was there. And through First Love, they've they've done some things to help. He understands the the short-term help. He understands the long-term help. I, I think he understands when it's a real help, when it's not a real help, and so he's he's good and helpful. And so I, I just even want to tie on a couple things that that was. Uh, that was read today. Today, like, open to 1 John chapter 3. I'm just kind of filtering these things through my mind. These are these are thoughts that are coming to mind. This is what Ryan had had us read today. And um, 1 John chapter 3 verse 16. We read this in unison. Okay, I'm gonna read from my ESV Bible, which is right here, but. Just think of the implication of this. He says, by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And the brothers there is particularly Christian people that Christ laid His life down for those He was saving. And we also ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. So particularly my mind is aiming towards the the Christians in Nepal. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need... Yet closes heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? And uh, that is that's a that's a huge verse for us. And I'm not trying to guilt trip you all to say, oh, you got the world's goods, Nepal doesn't, so you need to do what you can. Because quite frankly, it's very difficult. I think to get funds and resources over there. I mean, none of us could just pack up and go. I think that would be a a tremendously difficult thing to do. Maybe maybe at some point, but. But the idea, though, is this. if we get some finances of Bob, and Bob is one, I mean, he, he's incredible at this. He just, he's just going to help. He's just going to cast his seed. He's going to love people. He's going to help them and thereby demonstrate that his love for Christ is real because he's got the, de- the, the goods in hand. He's going to seek to do what, what he can. And he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and truth. And I, I just hope that's true of us at Rock Valley Bible Church. We'd be those to love in deed and truth beyond just uh, just words. Um, so that's that's our aim. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're giving $10,000 to start. And I just say, if you're encouraged to give anything, then uh, give. You can give through the church. We'll get that just straight there. You can give straight to First Love. I mean, however you want to do that, you can help. And I know that Bob will, will take that and, and use that money accordingly. And so it's appropriate we read that. It's appropriate also that we sung, Great is thy faithfulness. Uh, you, you didn't change all these songs for Sunday m- morning, did you? Great is thy faithfulness. Turn to Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, in our prayer meeting, we're just using the, the fighter verses to prompt, our, to prompt our, our time in the Word before we pray. And um, this is what it was. Some families are memorizing these verses. Some are not. I, I commend the prayer meeting to you. Would, would really, uh, um, I think it's a shame how few people attend the prayer meeting personally. I think it's a shame when people have opportunities and don't come. We need to pray together as a church. I just I throw that out there to you. It, why don't you do this? Do me a favor. You don't need to tell me. Why don't you write down why you don't attend the prayer meeting and say, God, this is why I don't attend the prayer meeting. It's okay with me if it's okay with you before the Lord. And uh, just encourage you. We were in Lamentations 3. And the verse this morning was Lamentations 3, 21-23. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And, and here's what we sung, right? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And to the prayer meeting this morning, I asked just a simple question. I said, how does a Nepali Christian read this verse today? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I said, how, how, does, a, how does a Nepali like, like even begin to read that? And so I kind of asked that question. We got some some good answers out. Um, Because here's here's what I would say. I would would say that we often read this verse wrongly. We often say, look at the ways that God has blessed us. Oh, God is so good to us. His steadfast love never ceases because look at all the things that He's given us. Look at all the blessings that He has bestowed upon us. His mercies never come to an end. How good He is. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that's how we read this passage. And so we think about Nepal, and we think about what happened them, And I ask, how can a Nepali Christian say this? You've got to remember what Lamentations is about. Lamentations is a book that was um, written by Jeremiah as he was weeping. And why was he weeping? He was weeping because Jerusalem had just been destroyed. Wiped off. Wiped out. Right, look back at chapter 1. It's a, it's really, it's a, it's a devastated city. We see here in, in chapter 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. The city that was just swamped with people, that was full, how like a widow she has become. She was great among the nations. Queen of Sheba comes to mind. Coming and listening to the wisdom of Solomon and looking at all the riches of Jerusalem is a world power. It's come to Nothing. She, who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave, one time a thriving city, capital of Israel, wonder of the world. It says in First Kings chapter ten that the king made silver as common as stones in those days, and now it, it lays waste four hundred years later. Look down at verse four: The roads to Zion mourn for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Jerusalem, from the heights of glory into the depths of desolation. She feels it, she mourns over it, she groans. And that's why verse 2, right? She's weeping bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. I mean, she she talks here in in verse 9 about having no comforter. In verse 16, the the comfort is far from me. Verse 17, no one is there to comfort her. That's different than Kathmandu right now. There's lots of people making efforts. There's lots of people trying. There's lots of people going at that. Um, Heard even, there's a delegation coming from the United States with a million dollars. (laughs) I told Yvonne on the way to Church this morning is a million dollars. That's like, that's like nothing. But at least it's something they're coming. But as for Jerusalem, there is there is nothing. And, and and over and over and over again, chapter one just speaks of the the desolation. And it comes to verse fifteen, right? The Lord rejected all the mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me. To crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as a winepress the virgin daughter of Judea. And and see, see, don't think that this was outside of God's sovereign control. It was God who rejected His mighty men. It was God who summoned the Chaldeans to rise up against Israel exactly like Habakkuk 1 said. I'm doing this thing so marvelous in your eyes you never understand it. The Chaldeans, this nation more wicked than you, rose up and crushed you. Now, it's not like Israel wasn't warned. That's the whole ministry of Jeremiah, over and over again warning of the incoming doom, warning of the impending doom, warning of the impending doom. He was the proverbial guy who was standing there with a sign that said, The end is near. He got thrown in a pit because he was speaking about how the end is near. They didn't like that, and so they, they threw him into, in, into the pit. And there you see a devastated city. And even chapter 2 then speaks about how angry God is with His people. Chapter 2, verse 1, how the Lord in His anger has set the daughter of Zion under His cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered His footstool in the day of His anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitants of Jacob in His wrath. He has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. Verse 3, he's cut down in fierce anger. At the end of verse 4, even it speaks about it as well, is that in the tent he's poured out his fury like fire. What, what happened to Jerusalem was the, the devastation of, of God upon, upon his people because of their unfaithfulness. And that's everything that Jeremiah was about. And in fact, his perspective comes in chapter 2, verse 17. The Lord has done what He has purposed. He has carried out His word, which He commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Just That's Jerusalem. A crushed city. In, in many ways, far worse than, than Kamandu. When Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel, all those guys returned back, what they were returning for? They were returning to rebuild the city that was destroyed at this moment. Well, chapter 3 is where the, the hope is. Like like many books in the, in the Bible, like Hebrews write, we, we often climax at the end and they climax right in the beginning. In fact, If you look, chapter 3 has 66 verses rather than the 22 of all the others because it's all an acrostic and it all comes right in the middle. It all comes right in the middle of chapter 3 where where all the hope comes. And he, and he he is right here and his hope comes in verse 21 where he turns. When he says, as we read this morning, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope in the midst of crushed desolation all over the place. He's, he's remembering one thing. He says, I'm remembering this, and then I have hope. And what's he remembering? He's remembering the faithfulness of God. He's remembering that, yes, God poured out His wrath upon the city, but but His faithfulness is, is new every morning. I, I shared in prayer meeting this morning how um, a good friend of mine doesn't like great is thy faithfulness because it sounds like a funeral dirge to him. And uh, I remember hearing that statement years ago. This is about a decade ago. And I remember hearing that statement. said, yeah, you're right. I think so. Because grace is am faithful. I mean, that's rejoicing at at God and everything he's done. And and, and yet, I remember the point when I, I came to Lamentations 3 and said, this is a funeral dirge. Lamentations 3 is the right way. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father. You you picture there the man singing at the death of his wife or the death of his child or, or singing when his house burned down or swept away by a tornado. Like sorrow, but standing on the steady rock of the faithfulness and the steadiness of God. The promises of God. I love what Charles Bridges wrote. Difficulties heaped upon difficulties can never rise to the level of the promise of God. The difficulties that come can never rise past the promise of God. Because promise to be faithful and though the difficulties come, we realize we're going to trust the promises of God more than difficulties even if life means that that things are done he says that that's verse 24 where it goes right the lord is my portion says my soul therefore i have hope in him i mean what what amazing words here jeremiah places hope in god for deliverance and no deliverance is promised he doesn't know if deliverance is coming but he's just placing it there. Babylon just come and wiped out the city. They've wiped out the army. They, they've wiped out the government. They've taken many leaders like Daniel back into Babylon, and they're just left desolate. But yet he says this in verse 24, I will hope in him. Right? In many ways this is like Job. Remember Job. God incites Satan against him. He says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He says, ah, oh, tit for tat. You, you strike him or you hurt him. He's not going to praise you. And he struck him and hurt him. And he praised him. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or at the end of the Habakkuk, right? Though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fall and the fields produce no food. Though no flock be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That's what Jeremiah is saying here. He says, Even if everything's wiped away, I'm still going to trust the Lord for my salvation. Are you only praising God because things are good for you, because God blesses you? If you're in a poly Christian right now, and maybe lost some family members, maybe lost some friends, is Lamentations 3 your perspective? Listen, it's possible to live victoriously through trials. Verse 25 The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let them sit alone in silence when it's laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. And let him be filled with insults. It's good to be afflicted. As Psalm 119 says, it's good for me that I was afflicted because now I keep your word. It's through the affliction that the, the keeping of the word comes. Verse 31, this is the good news, right? The Lord will not cast off forever. Though He caused grief like He did in destroying Jerusalem, He will have compassion according to His abundance of steadfast love. For He does not afflict from His heart. Or grieve the children of men. Just there it is that God, God. See NAS says He doesn't afflict willingly. It, it's not like He's a cosmic killjoy waiting to get people. But as people have been warned and they have turned away, His wrath will come. Um, and that's where that's where hope is. It's right here, that great is thy faithfulness. And so I just think if you think about the Nepali Christians, you think about the, the people there, just, just pray for them that they, would, that they would know this, that the people like Bob Clinton or the pastors who are carrying away the dead in their trucks or who are, who are helping would, would be a, a voice of, of reason. A voice of Hope in God, and I remember reading one of, of the things that Bob said was that the people are hysterical, they're screaming and, and and as I read them like that's Nepali people they're so superstitious, like anything that anything that comes along, they're just like, Oh, you know it's the wicked you know, who runs away at the rustling of a leaf, so likewise the Nepalis at the the shaking of the ground are terrified because of what they have seen and what they're experiencing but i I, I just say this U- ultimately god is is good to those who wait for him, as verse twenty five says. You know, another thought came to mind. Um, first Samuel, why don't you turn over there? First Samuel chapter four. I just mentioned this in prayer meeting before I, I, I came up here. I first Samuel chapter five rather. Um, my my my, my brother in law in California been texting me, like yesterday morning he did, making sure that we knew about everything that was going on there, and I appreciate his heart with that. And one of the things he was quick to point out was how all the, the temples have been destroyed. And not all the temples have been destroyed, but it has hit some of the temples pretty hard. And because you think about it, why are the temples hit hard? is because they're probably some of the oldest buildings, so they're probably some of the weakest buildings. And I, I just thought of the story of, of Dagon. Uh, you remember when the Philistines captured the Ark of God? In 1 Samuel chapter 5 and they, they, verse 2, the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon, set it up beside Dagon, and when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Uh, this was mini earthquake, if you will, in Philistia of uh, causing that that uh, statue to fall down right before the the ark of God. And so, as it says in verse 3, they they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord again. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshing floor. Only the trunk of Dagon, this fish god that they worship, um, was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. And uh, what it was, was that that they had stolen the Ark of God, they had some superstition, but God was very present there, and He says, no, I'm going to get this thing back. And so He causes this temple, if you will, this idol, to fall twice, not once, but twice, before them. And and I love the panic that came came about. Uh, If you look, verse 8, So they sent together other lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the Ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Well, let the Ark of God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of God to Israel. And hereafter they brought it against the hand of the Lord was against that city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out among them. And so they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They've brought around to us the ark of God of Israel to kill us and our people. They became just fearful of God because this was the idol-consuming presence of God is what it was and I love how, how they said in verse 11 they gathered together and sent all the lords of the Philistines and said send away the ark of God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people for there was a deathly panic through the whole city and the hand of God was very heavy there and the men did not die the men who did not die were struck with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. But here is God in control of all the idols. And it's my brother-in-law was getting at, a little bit of mocking towards all these Hindu gods and all, all these, these people, what, what what God can do. I think of any idolatrous place in the world, from all that I've heard, because I've talked to LRI guys who travel the world over, they say always that Kathmandu is like this unique place among all the places they travel. So idol-infested, so... Um, Demon-infested, so um, Hinduish, awful kind of place. And how like God to destroy the epicenter of, of pleasure, Thailand, a few years ago. Here comes here. Um, and it is, it is um, unique. However, we need to be warned. Another passage that comes to mind is is Luke chapter thirteen. Why don't you, why don't you turn there? This probably is my my last passage. Uh, I'm not going to get to Leviticus today, just to just to let you know. I've just got some thoughts that are coming in my mind. I just feel burdened just to, to share these things. Left, we become arrogant in saying, oh, look at how God destroyed them. Or, you know, when uh, Katrina hit... The Gulf Coast, I remember hearing lots of people talking about how, oh, it's the, what are the sinful casinos down there and the, the coast down there with Biloxi and um, it's because of their sin that God was striking. And there might be some, some truth to that. However, I think one of the things that Luke 13 does is really brings us back to where we need to be as we think about disasters across the world, lest we say, oh yeah, they're so wicked in Kathmandu. Verse thir- chapter 13, verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. In-, in other words, there were some Galileans who went to worship the temple perhaps. We don't really know. But Pilate had come in, stormed the temple, the synagogue, wherever, and killed these Galileans because he mixed their blood with their sacrifices. and uh, We don't know anything politically about why that happened, um, but they were come, basically they were, were, were looking at Jesus' response. And he answered them, verse 2, do, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Apparently he's getting at their theology that says, well, it's because of their, there's how sinful they were that God incited Pilate against these guys. And there might be truth to that might be truth that says you don't worship God. You, you're going to face the, the hand of God, the wrath of God. He said, verse 2 then, 3, this is Jesus' response. And I, I really want us to take this to heart today as we think about Nepal and the earthquake and maybe any mind that says we're better than them. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He so they. You think that they just got their due as a result of, of where they were? Well, unless you repent, you likewise will perish. And he tells another story. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? And you know that 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 is very many ways the, the theology of those Pharisees of the time, uh right? That, um, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or was it their parents? Who, like, who sinned caused this this problem? Or that tower that fell? Who sin caused that tower to fall? Who, who did it? Who did it, Jesus? Certainly it's because of their sin that they did that. And he says, you think they're worse offenders? He says, listen, no. I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I think... Um, when you face something that's devastating as, as what, what took place in Kathmandu and, and what just the, the poverty there, how easy is it to, to judge? How easy is it to look upon them? And, and yet, we need to look to ourselves. Because as easily as God struck Kathmandu, He can strike us as well. And unless we are repenters, turning from our sin... And following Christ, as he says, you too likewise will perish. And Yet he's patient. I mean, that's the whole purpose of this parable. He told him this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking for fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years, corresponding with three years of ministry of Jesus, I said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit in this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? humorous and he answered him sir let it alone this year also until i dig around it and and put on manure then if it should bear fruit next year well and good but if not you can cut it down and that was jesus three years looking for fruit in jerusalem and not finding any ready to cut it down but in his patience he just continued to to cast off a warning there's a warning about hypocrisy coming in the next story but the woman who was hunched over for 18 years, and they they attack Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Like you're you're missing it. The Lord of Life, Jesus is here. And then then even he concludes this by talking about the narrow door in chapter 13. Are there few that will be saved? He says, strive to enter the narrow door. And I, I just think of of any application to Leviticus. You shall be holy. And what greater application is there than this? Is this disaster? Do we love them? Are we going to help them in some way? Um, what about ourselves? Where do we stand before the Lord? And there may be some of you here today that just kind of drifting through life, taking things easy. Maybe it's time like this, it gets a, a shock when you start seeing things, you start seeing the magnitude of the help. Now, it is interesting that my my spirit wasn't quite provoked this was when they had a tornado. We had a tornado come through and wipe out a lot. And I think perhaps the reason why is because we have the resources to rebuild that. Think of insurance. I'm mean, going to talk to Lance, and he talked about how the Red Cross is here, and Samaritan's Purse is here, and just infrastructure here, and helping those people. And I'm, I'm, I'm compassionate to those people for sure. Um, we were talking to someone recently, maybe, uh, I, I forget who we were talking to, uh, Mr. Coulter, maybe. And uh, she knew two people who were there, and one is living with parents. Another place, they're like, they're like fine, they've got places to live. They're okay, they're going to start cleaning up. And there's a massive cleanup project. If you want to do something, um, she said, boy, the fields out there are just littered. I mean, you guys know more, I've not even been out there, just littered with stuff that takes so many years to clear, and you've got to clear this up so they can even farm. Are they going to farm some of that land? Will it be followed? Do you have any idea, Juanita? That won't be farmable? Okay, okay, good. So should think about that. Maybe that's why it hasn't struck me is that it's cleaned up and there's going to be farming on it. Um, But in Nepal, (laughs) um, it's going to be years and years and years and years. I think it's a strategic opportunity for us. I remember when the disaster struck in Haiti. I was like, I don't know anything about Haiti. But you know what? I know a few things about Kathmandu. And uh, we got a great contact there. And I'm going to seek to mobilize churches in Rockford. Uh, I got an email even this morning from um, Ray Glinsky, he's a missions pastor at Grace Church of Page, who said, hey, what about your contacts in Nepal? Can we maybe help something? And so I sent him the email already this morning that, that Bob Clinton just sent out about trying to raise $50,000 for relief and then uh, whatever is building back up and helping in a wise way. I said, yeah, this guy's good. He's trustworthy. So, you know, whatever. We might be a rallying cry to really help and help the church over there. And and, and who knows? Isn't it during the time of crisis when the, the, the church rises up? Um, it's when things are hard and when the, the church rises up. So I think, I think pray for Christians to be able to be helpers over there be freed up somehow to be able to help and serve. I remember Bob, when he was in Thailand, he talked about how when he was there and the, you know, the tsunami hit, whatever, 100,000 people were killed at that tsunami. And um, so he was there serving in the hot sweat just trying to get these bodies taken care of and doing whatever he can do. And it's interesting, the most holy people of the Buddhist faith who was primarily there, they were nowhere to be seen. The monks, he said, nowhere to be seen. First of all, because a monk, I think, believes if you touch a dead body, you become unclean, a little bit like this whole Leviticus thing. But secondly, fundamentally, Buddhism is a, a religion of, of, here, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take. But Christianity is a religion of giving and giving and giving. And who is it that shows up? Relief. Samaritan's Purse shows up down here. And it's Christians who have an opportunity to rise to the surface to be able to really help and shine in the world and just say hey look who's helping it's believers that's helped with the children's home that we've helped build in Bakunde it's the testimony of look at the Christians they're here they're helping they're not just sucking taking 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 they're here helping and just that's an opportunity I think pray for the, the Christians to rise up like that but for us let's just say what, 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 what if we were in Nepal or, or what if that happens to us where everything's taken away are we going to be great as thy faithfulness and if not, maybe there's some repentance that needs to take place. I just long for us to be a a holy people. And we'll get back to Leviticus 24 next week. So let's pray together. Oh, Father, these thoughts are, are rambled and they're different than normal, certainly. You know, God, you've just put it on my heart to just speak some of these thoughts that really just came to mind this morning as so I've been thinking and mulling on these things, Lord, I pray by Your grace You would guide us to church to help. Uh, we'll give some money from a, a surplus that we have allocated to missions to, to give apart from us. Thank You that we have been able to save that up so as to be able to spend it in that way. And I pray, Lord, that You would help the, the fruit of that money to go rightly to places that, that really help um, we know there's there's much missions activity that actually hurts people, um, and, and many times that giving is is not the best. And yet, Lord, as we think about people who who need a place to live or who need food, God, how we can help with that. And, and I pray for Bob Clinton. I pray that you would help him and strengthen him. I know over the next couple of weeks he's going to wake up early in the morning and tirelessly go about his work trying to organize and trying to help and try to do, and he's going to go to bed at night fatigued. Um, Lord, would pray that you would help him and strengthen him and give him discernment. Um, God, give us wisdom as to how we can do it. But most of all, God, I think it's most important. It's not that we are, are people who just give financially, but it's people who have, have seen our sin and, and see that Jesus is what we need, God. That Christ is our only hope that it's only by Your grace, O God, that we have lived another day and had another breath. Thank You for Your mercy to us that we survived the earthquake. God, because the earthquake didn't hit us. God, the tower may fall on us. Father, I pray, O Lord, that You would help us. I pray even for those souls here today. who are hard towards the things of You, who are not seeking You, I pray in Your grace, You would open their eyes to see the glories of Jesus. God, that You would stir in hearts in a way that's, God, only be explained by You doing it. God, in this we, we just lift these prayers and petitions up to You, knowing that You are the, the great saver of souls. You're the Lord of the harvest. And I pray that you'd reap a a great harvest in Nepal and even the ripple effect, even to the United States as we think about just what life really is and what's important and how Christ is our only rock. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.